Good day. This is Tabitha. Welcome to White Wellness. Today is August 23rd, 2022. Broadcasting out of New York for White Wellness Radio. That song right there, Alice in Chains with Man in the Box, way back in 1990. So the title of this week's broadcast is Thriving Amidst the Sludge. Figured it was an appropriate name because that's what those of us who uh, rise to the occasion, who like to optimize ourselves are doing, not just living, but thriving amidst the sludge. I guess the word Zio could be in parentheses before the word sludge. But nevertheless, that's the name of the title of the broadcast for this week. And I used a picture of a lotus blossom. I figured it was the perfect, uh, most appropriate image I could be using, given the title of the show because one of the symbols of the lotus or the symbolism that goes along with the lotus is traveling through the world without being corrupted by it. And that's because the lotus is a beautiful flower. 
It comes in many a hues. I utilized a white one for the picture, but they also come in purple and, and other colors. Figured white was appropriate uh, given the nature of this broadcast. But they grow in muck and they rise above that muck to still be beautiful. So that's one of the, I think, the challenges of living in this world. And uh, below the lotus uh, blossom is a delicious vegetable, perhaps foreign to many people, known as lotus root. It is totally delicious. It has a lot of medicinal properties as well. So it, it's below the blossom. So into the mud of a pond or a river, the lotus root is the stem of the plant growing as long as sometimes four feet. And the flower is what you know blooms up above the water but this lotus root actually can be eaten it's totally delicious it's considered to be cooling from a traditional chinese medicinal perspective so if someone had more heat conditions in the system they might want to have cooling foods like lotus root it's got a beautiful crisp tender texture that can be utilized stir-fried boiled you know in soup um braised steamed deep fried all different types of preparations and it's really good for the lungs especially if someone has um, phlegm going on it can help um, kind of loosen some of the phlegm so a wonderful vegetable and a wonderful uh, flower as well if you're looking to procure this you could possibly find it at an asian market you could also find it dried or in powdered form online which could be utilized the powder for tea and then you could have the dried be reconstituted and put into soups and stews and things of that nature. So yeah, a little bit there on the title of the show and just a little bit about lotus root. And it's so beautiful looking when you slice it open, it's circular. And then it has all this like kind of interesting, I guess you'd say it's honeycombish in pattern. It has like little holes around it, but yeah, great, great vegetable and a beautiful flower and very appropriate given the title of today's broadcast, Thriving Amidst the Sludge. So let's start it out with the word of the week. I have about 10 of these cards left in this, this deck of forgotten English. So pretty soon I'm going to have to find another source for words of the week. Okay, we'll randomly pick one. Here we go. And the word of the week is salvor. S-A-L-V-O-R, Salvor. Servant of royalty or nobles whose duty was to sample the food and drink prepared for their masters who feared assassination. The word derives from Latin salvus, safe, the root word of salvation or salvage. Later spelled salver with an E, the word came to mean the silver tray on which the tested victuals were placed. Victuals means food, by the way. By the middle of the 17th century, the platter became mainly ornamental. It was believed in the 16th century that fine glassware, such as Venetian crystal, would break and thereby protect the owner if poison were put into it. So the word is salvor. And what an interesting job that is to sample the food of um, people who feared assassination. I, I believe that Hitler had an individual, a woman, who would sample his food as well to make sure that someone wasn't trying to to off him. So it, it, it appears to be rather a common theme throughout history. Again, the word is salvor. So most of the stuff we're going to talk about on today's broadcast is going to be some news stuff and some just general health stuff that will help us thrive amidst the sludge. And in regards to the chakra series that I've been doing on the show, we're going to skip 
this week doing that. And then the following week, I will finish up the chakra series with the crown chakra. So just to let everyone know, it's going to just be a general show about health and news, but still pertinent and interesting information. So there's been a couple of very uh, anti-white stories coming out in the last uh, week or so that I've seen uh, whilst perusing the internet, as well as just looking on Tomlegram and things of things of that nature. Some really kind of, you see these stories and you say to yourself, you know, when are the people who aren't yet racially aware going to, you know, quote, wake up, be red-pilled by this information, right? So here's a story that's uh, pretty mind-seeing. Minneapolis Teachers Union defends race-based layoff policy amid backlash made up by the right wing. Ooh, and this is actually from Fox News, believe it or not, which tends to be more of a right wing, I guess. I mean, it's, it's, it's not. It's all just, you know, it's the Talmudic wing or it's two birds, two wings of the same bird, right? So this, this um, thing that they're saying right here about being made up by the right wing, you might be asking yourself if you're unfamiliar with this story, what is this? What are they talking about? So the Minneapolis, Minneapolis Teachers Union defended a controversial policy regarding race-based layoffs. This is concerning laying off only whites after fierce backlash, arguing that the criticism is being ginned up by the right wing. And of course, they're always going to try to gaslight people when they're right. It's almost like when someone can see through the transsexual agenda, they want to call you transphobe or bigot. When you can see through the race agenda, they want to call you right wing, extremist, Nazi, bigot, white supremacist. They use these words to uh, emotionally abuse and blackmail people. So there's a terrible thing they're doing in Minneapolis Federation of Teachers and the public schools, or shall I say fools in Minneapolis. They agreed to a plan that allows for the firing of teachers based on race if the district decides staff layoffs are necessary, regardless of seniority. The policy was agreed to last spring to settle a two-week teacher strike. The policy was blasted on Twitter as being, quote, illegal and a gross violation of the Constitution, but the union leadership has begun to push back. And then you have to ask yourself, have they, over the last couple of years or so, even longer, been replacing some of these people in power with majorities, oives, self-hating, libshit whites? Most likely, right? So people are saying in response to it, the same people who want to take down teachers unions and blame seniority are now defending it for white people. This is all made up by the right wing now, and we could not be more proud of this language. Pretty, um, pretty mind zoggling. It's, it's all so mind zoggling, isn't it? I mean, it's what's even more mind zoggling is that some people just don't see it right? They don't see it. But I guess it's so easy to be caught in this, this Zio bubble when you are constantly or constantly exposed to Zio sludge media that reinforces narratives of things that really don't exist, like white supremacy. We know when we hear that phrase, that has nothing to do with white people, European people, Aryan people. That is a made up thing by the media by the Talmudicists. There's Talmudic supremacy, and that's essentially what white supremacy means. They're just twisting it and foisting it on to us, right? So this is just one more thing that should be waking people up. Um, I don't know if it's going to, but 
it should be right or maybe it should even be waking up parents to say you know what maybe maybe we should be homeschooling um maybe we should be forming some type of coalition with other parents and maybe hiring a teacher who left a white teacher who left possibly because of the OADI sludge and the LGBTQIAV plus plus sludge and have that person um, schooling youngsters, right? And then of course they have to drum up the idea that um, there's an underrepresentation of African-American indigenous folks and people of color and um, they have to get a foothold so we, we, we can clearly see what's happening here, right? And don't you loathe when they utilize phrases like indigenous and people of color? And of course, we know when we hear those phrases, they're not talking about us, even though we whites are indigenous. We whites really are the people of color because who has more of, a, of an actual diversity, not diversity when it comes to hair, skin, and eye color? It's the white race. Obvious, it always has been. So this is just a sludge. If it wasn't bad enough with the um, vaccinations to go to public pool, the quote, quote, food or lunch that they serve there, all the sexualization through the LGBTQIAV+, the Zio sludge, white guilt uh, history. Now they're laying it out even further because they really only want people in the fool or school system who will be total Zio sludge slaves. They want majorities and they want self uh, hating or self-loathing live shit um, whites, right? And oives, of course, right? So yeah, it's just um, one more thing. Maybe other public schools or fools will follow suit with this, and then it will be kind of more of an accepted thing. I don't know. But it's just something that, you know, should um, pique people's interests, especially if they're not so aware of what's going on or still say, ah, oh, you know, I need, I need more proof. And then when you see something like this, and then if you, you see all these stories about, you know, white supremacy, you have to ask yourself, how could there be quote white supremacy when there's all of these policies or all of these actions or situations in place that are to impoverish whites, demean them, humiliate them. It doesn't make any sense. You'd really have to have a zogative dissonance going on to believe something like this, it's like someone who is vegan and thinks that monocropping is a good idea when monocropping kills more animal lives than the slaughter of like, you know, one grass fed cow. It really, you really have to believe if you believe any of the sludge they put out, there has to be a slight bit of zognitive dissonance going on. But this was just one of the stories I found this week that I found to be mind zoggling and uh, worthy of sharing on the broadcast. Crazy stuff. Tiffany is saying, I hadn't heard that song in forever, Man in the Box. Yeah, I hadn't heard it in a while uh, either, but it's a good song. All those 90s songs are, you know, nostalgic and good songs. So that was the first song, first song, also the first story that I had to share about uh, Minneapolis and what's going on there. Total crap. Absolute Zyosludge. So here is something else. It also has to do um, with more of this kind of white vitriol. I think that's a phrase that, that fits this. I think vitriol is really, it's not just anti-white or, you know, whatever words they want to use. There's a vitrolic aspect to all of this. And I think when you just say anti, we're so used to hearing, you know, anti in front of all of these words. I think when you really use like a word like vitriol, you really get an idea, cruel and bitter criticism. You know, there's just very, very, a lot of just, ugh, it's just, that's the way they are. I mean, the Oives or the Skeksis system has 
vitrolic feelings or exceeding amounts of antipathy for whites. There's even a word for it called loxism. And that's when Oyve's loathe and hate whites. That's what that word means. Yeah, if I can see it right here. Loxism is not a belief in locks. <laughs> locks is pretty darn good though, or, or Nova. Um, hatred of white people by Oyves. So that a loxist, that's what that means. And um, I'm not necessarily sure of the etymology of that, where that word comes from, but in, in lieu of using the word loxism, I think using the word white vitriol uh, fits in quite nicely. So here's another story that I happen to find uh, whilst I was perusing things. And it's another book about how terrible and awful whites are. And of course, it's not written by a white person, right? Just like a lot of these books. I remember doing an article about three years ago, kind of on the precipice of a lot of these things occurring. We were still kind of in a pre-Oyid, pre-Floyd, uh, pre-many things um, era but nevertheless, a lot of this was kind of fomenting or like brewing up, if you will. So now there's this new book that is an editor's pick on Amazon Primate. It's called The Last White Man. And it was written by a Dravidian. Of course, it wasn't written by a white man or a white woman. They're never. These books about whites not being here or whites being the worst people in the world are never written by whites. Now, the rare case that if they are, it's some white who's completely deracinated. But even so, all of these books, and I, like I said, I did an article about this a while ago, every single one of these books was written by an oive pretending to be white, pretending to expose the fragility of, of quote, whiteness, or it was written by a majority, right? A glimpse of future of a future without white people. Moshin Hamid's The Last White Man is a book about race metamorphosis and the seduction of power. And the most mind-seeing aspect of this book is that it focuses on the one trait of race that everyone is obsessed with, the color of skin. He hated him because of the color of his skin. As we know, that is one trait of race, and it's not really even one of the most biologically determining factors because you could have, you know, tanning and things of that nature. And many of whites can have a, a dark kind of golden color to them, depending on where they're living in the world and how much vitamin D they're getting and what their diet is like. Of course, the better your diet, the more easy it is for you to tan. The modern xyosludge diet actually is what makes people burn and gives them skin cancer. Otherwise, historically, everybody would have had skin cancer, just like if germs cause disease everybody would be dead. No one would be here to talk about this conversation or to listen to this broadcast. So this ridiculous book starts out about a white man who awakens one morning to a new reality that his skin has turned to deep and undeniable brown. And then the book goes on to explore some of these concepts and questions. What if whiteness was subtly, not just white, whiteness. Remember, they love to use that word not just white, but whiteness, like it's a concept, like it's a thing, like we're separate from it. But then again, they're kind of removing themselves from the idea that they're actually instigating and engaging in genocide, but they want to use the word whiteness to absolve themselves. Classic Skeksis technique. What if whiteness were suddenly gone? Would the social order of life come undone? Would anything change? And we know, of course, that even if there weren't whites left 
there's always going to be a hierarchy or a caste system. Even in cultures where they are monoracial, they still value those that have the lightest skin at the top. There must be something beyond, you know, the made up Skexis construct of just quote white supremacy, why the fairer hair and the fairer features are valued by every culture across the world, right? There has to be something to that. So this book is obvious, total, total Zio sludge. I won't waste my breath or bore anyone by reading this review because this is in Wired magazine. Of course, they're probably promoting this as like a great book. But if you go to Amazon Primate, most people gave this book a good review. But there are some negative reviews that I'm, I'm glad to see them here. It didn't look like they had uh, banned them. You know, oftentimes that happens when reviews are banned. But there's a couple of reviews here. Let me see. There was one. There was one in particular. I think that's on my white wellness homepage. I actually took a screenshot of it. So I'll, I'll read that. It was a very succinct review of the book. A person basically saying, you know, what the hell is this? Like, what, what is this garbage? Just calling it out for what it is. Because a lot of people still, they don't want to call out the race stuff. They feel, I don't know, like they're going to deal with backlash if they, just like the transsexual stuff. So this is a review that someone wrote just a couple of weeks ago, actually. And it's a negative review of this book, but it essentially it, it sums up what this book is looking to do and why this is part of you know the agenda to to create vitriol for whites, the, the agenda of loxism. A childish attempt at justifying white genocide. The author, due to internalized hatred of natives whilst living in a foreign country. So this shit skin Dravidian is living in the UK, a white country. And of course, there's Dravidians, been Dravidians in that area of the world for a long time. But anyway, it's not their homeland, right? So the author, due to internalized hatred of natives whilst living in a foreign country, tries his best to make an argument for the extermination of the people who have provided him with his comfortable existence. Without Western society, this very frail individual would have been devoured long ago in his home nation due to his sexual proclivities and general uselessness. Whilst this is clearly nothing more than propaganda, to justify the extermination of people and the claim or, quote, humanity and morality, it bears understanding the absolute evil, narcissism, and hypocrisy of the individuals who scream the loudest about, quote, racial injustice. Their version of justice is always to kill and steal what others have who they envy. It will be a real shame when they reap the evil that they wish to permit onto others. Great review. Succinct to the point and tells it like it is. I mean, of course, I'm not going to waste time reading this book or reading the other reviews because it's just Zao Sludge, but I think we can see clearly more and more, whether it be through the Talmud vision, through books, through this thing that happened, you know, in that in that school district in Minneapolis, like there's all of these things out there, all of the anti anti um, white vitriol, all the loxism, it's it's all over the place. So how could anyone think that we live in a society of white supremacy? We do not. If we did, we'd have a really, really good society. I can guarantee you that if we really had a society where whites were at the top of everything and everything was done in an orderly, you know, structured, eugenic fashion, we'd have a great society. But we have a dysgenic society where people are poisoned with injections from the time of birth up until, 
if they fall for the agenda up until their last days. And we know that those injections cause uh, loss of longevity, causes confusion, um, it causes dumbing down, among many other things, plus all the other assaults that we have. That's one of the reasons why I think some of the older people who are still kicking, like from the silent generation, the greatest generation, one of the reasons they're around is because, well, there's many, but one of them is, is that they didn't get poisoned with nearly as many as of those injections, if not any. Some of those people could have even been born at home or had a very kind of, you know, minimal, minimal birth with minimal interventions and injections. But just some ideas of what is out there and how the, there's no way that this is a white supremacist society. There's, it, it's not possible for anyone listening who still possibly believes that's a possibility. It's not. Look at all the loxism. Look at all the vitriol, all the anti-white vitriol that comes out all the time. Look at how places like Amazon Primate promote all of this, right? And it's even lauded like this book, this, this, this book, this last white man book, this piece of shit is being hailed as exhilarating, you know, searing, exhilarating, his most remarkable work yet, a vision of human possibility. No just a bunch of shit, just a bunch of sludge, just a bunch of garbage. And this individual is essentially just uh, a useless, useful, useless, kind of a combo of the Skeksis system. But all of these people who are, you know, useless or useful idiots of the Skeksis system, they're completely and totally disposable. Um, they're only being used for what they're good for. And then when they're no longer needed, they'll be discarded because that's how Zog does things. So yeah, a little bit of stories there that are um, worth sharing, but just a wake up call, especially to maybe share these stories with people who don't don't understand what's going on or think that we really have this type of society when we clearly do not. And we have some of the people joining us. We got OG here and OG is saying, imagine the kind of people that give this book a positive review. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. The kind of person that does is probably either a white person that's so totally and completely just brain dead or a majority who's a genocider, who's thinking that if there are no whites left, there's going to be some type of like equality in the world. I think all these people who are promoting this equality, which we know anyway, is like false and like a total hollow hoax. They are people who are dysgenic, who are lazy, who are slugs, who are unmotivated, who are unoptimized. And they think that they can get away with, you know, being second rate, being off the cob essentially, and then say, oh, you know, I'm just going to sit back and, you know, wait, wait for, you know, this genocide to occur that I can be on top, right? Like these people are garbage, sludge, absolute sludge. Gutter Punk Watchdog is saying, because all the imperialist-based societies colonize indigenous people without their rights or input on their land, it's white supremacy. You mentioned books, try some. Well, I think that's a bit of an unclear history right there. Um, the whole colonization, colonization thing is a, a, bit of a, a bit of a trope. And like Josh is saying, every culture did that at one point. But we still have here, especially in America, we have this over-looming thing that every white person who's alive currently is responsible for the transatlantic slave trade, which is, is garbage, of course. And then we also have a fact that at the height of the transatlantic slave trade, less than 2% of whites actually owned slaves. It was the Skeksis. It was the Uyves. So oftentimes we hear this word, you know, colonizer. You know, we have to decolonize our bodies, like all of this. Like every society in history has invaded has taken slaves, has engaged in things like rape, um, but all of a sudden, whites did it wrong, right? Maybe we were just better at conquering. 
right? Crazy. And Snake Eyes is saying all cultures colonized and fought over land. Stop crying about it. Yeah. And now it's like the whites who are alive now have to pay for all the stuff that happened in the past. I mean, slavery is still alive and well in Africa, especially the the the, the darker, the more melanated, as, as they like to say, um, blacks are being enslaved by the ones that have lighter skin and higher status. So this whole idea of like equalizing everything, equalizing things by a race, by a sexuality, it's, it's not going to happen. It's just, that's not the way it works. Like either you've got to build yourself up in this world or you can get taken down and you have that choice. So I know oftentimes we're not told these things because the education system wants us to think that, you know, bad white people, terrible white people, you know, that's, that's all the type of stuff that we've ever gotten. And now, I mean, it was, it was bad enough going to school in the eighties and nineties and getting that type of treatment. What is it like now? I mean, it's worse and worse all the time. OG is saying besides living off the land and besides living off the land is not the same as owning it. Yeah, exactly. And, and Josh is saying I have Irish and Slavic uh, where are my reparations? Yeah, I'm Irish. What about the um, indentured servants who were Irish, who were brought to America before even Negroes from Africa were brought to America, right? What about the potato famine that was an orchestrated genocide? What about that, right? What about the Holodomor? What about when the Allies bombed Stuttgart, bombed Dresden? You know, what, what about that, right? What about the Bolshevik Revolution? What the fuck? You know, I mean, come on, we don't, do we hear about these things? Do we learn about these things? Wilston Public School? Typically we do not. And Epiphany is saying, I have Irish too. Could use some money. Yeah, me too. I could use some money. I'd like to fill my freezer with some pastured meat. Give me some money. Gives me that. I'm Irish. Gives me that, right? OG Snake Eyes is saying Native Americans didn't own anything. In order to own the land, you had to establish borders, claim the borders, start a government and laws to enforce your land. Think about, exactly. Think about the situation in South Africa. Whites were there first. The Boers and the Afrikaners were there first. And then blacks got wind of it. And then they came down so they could mooch off of the civilization. And then what's going on in South Africa now? What about the farm murders, right? Why don't we hear about any of this? All we ever hear about is how terrible apartheid was and how great Mandela was. It's a bunch of sludge. It's fake. It's an inversion, like everything else that they do. How would anyone obvious, honestly believe that we have this white supremacy system when we look at all of the stuff that actually happened, it's only believable if you believe the stuff that the media and the public fool and the system is telling us, you know, academia and all of that type of stuff. Otherwise, if you have a brain, if you've researched, if you're not afraid of, you know, throwing away your old belief system and learning new things, something that surprisingly, a lot of people are not comfortable saying, you know what, I'm okay with clearing my cachet. I'm okay with you know, throwing away the beliefs that I've had for decades, possibly, and learning something new. I'm okay with that, personally. But a lot of people, it's really, really scary for them, especially finding out stuff about, you know, race, like finding out about the hollow hoax. Some people like the hollow hoax is like, that's a big recoiler for a lot of people, right? Just just even looking into it can make them feel like these overwhelming feelings of like they're doing something bad. OG is saying there was no country in America until whites created it. It was just natives living on the land and fighting over Buffalo. Build borders and defend something or I'll take it from you, motherfucker. And also, let's think about this, the Salutrians. We've talked about this many a times in the broadcast. The Salutrians, who were you know white Aryan peoples, they believe from uh, Spain and France, they crossed the ice bridge way before there were uh, mongoloids here. 
you know, in, in the Americas. And also let's keep in mind that uh, South America was white before it was Aztecian. So we have all of these things, you know, that shows that, oh, we're not indigenous, all this shit. Don't you hate that? Always using that word to describe us as not indigenous. I've even been thinking too, with the idea of like, you know, community, whether it be online or even like offline at some point in the future, like how we should really reclaim the word indigenous. You know, all, also, of course, reclaiming the rainbow and the unicorn and you know other things I've been posting about on Telegram. But we really need to reclaim the word indigenous. Like when that word is used most of the time nowadays, sometimes it's correct, but other times it's not correct. So yeah, it's uh it's a, it's this is the thing. See, we're we're us of those of us who know, we know, but then again, we're up against the majority of people who don't know, who get, you know, enraged, who get annoyed, who like to throw out, you know, a lot of these words. And where are they hearing all these words? They're hearing them from the sludge media, right? Where are they getting where are they getting the idea to just Pavlovianly, you know, bark back and call someone a bigot or a racist or a Nazi? Where are they getting that? Are they getting that? Are they channeling that word when they do pranayama or kundalini it's it's exceedingly doubtful they're getting this because they're having it filled into their brain while they're rotting their brain while they're you know taking in all the zio sludge medias right so a little bit there about that book don't buy that book um obviously i don't think anyone listening would, would buy any of these books i mean these books they're they almost read like satire like you would almost think it was like a satirical read if anyone of any race especially a white person put out a book about no more black people no more jewish people no more asian people no more mestizo people no more dravidian people middle eastern people no more australoid or you know aboriginal people that person would the book probably wouldn't even be published right or the person would be blacklisted they would be doxxed they would have hate mail sent to their house i mean come on right but hey we supposedly live in a white supremacist society right we can see clearly when we pull it apart that 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 could no way in any frame of, of mind ever be true. And Oji is saying succinctly, whites are the boogeyman. Yeah, that's what the Oive Skeksis system has done. And they've been playing it, they've been playing it up um, heavily, especially ever since the last two or three years. And Oji is saying, but I love being the boogeyman. I mean, I love being white. I think everyone should love being the race and the sex that they are. Like I love being a white woman, you know, that's just, that's, and that's, that's who I am. I'm never going to be anything but that. Right. So we should all embrace that. That's a good lesson for everybody. Maybe if we all embrace that a bit more, we would have less of this anti-white vitriol and loxism going on in the world. Right. So a bit there about a book that um, isn't even worthy uh, using for toilet paper. So now a couple of newsy stories I found uh, whilst perusing and just looking at some of the, uh, you know, I get these health magazines. Sometimes it's mostly health and parentheses, but you know, nevertheless, sometimes there is a jewel of wisdom in there and it's, it's worth sharing. So I'll share it on the broadcast. So I got a couple of just little kind of like tidbit stories, but good information for us to know. So here's a little bit right here about how taking anti-social media breaks can improve one's mental health. Who would have thought? With 82% of Americans utilizing applications like Facebook, Instagram, and Shit Talk, scrolling through anti-social media has become unconscious, automatic behavior for many humans. But that distraction comes at a price, indicates a new study from the UK's University of Bath. 
Half of all the 154 participants aged 18 to 72, so Zoomer to Boomer, stopped utilizing virtually all antisocial media for one week, reducing their average utilization time from eight hours to 21 minutes for that one week period. After the seven days, they showed significant improvements in their well-being, depression, and anxiety scores compared to those in a control group that did not take such a break. Scrolling antisocial media is so ubiquitous that many of us do it almost without thinking from the moment we wake up to when we close our eyes at night. But if you are spending hours each week scrolling and you feel it is negatively impacting you, it could be worth cutting down your usage to see if it helped. So yeah, interesting information right there. Uh, the well-being thing, I think, is one of the key the key aspects of that because there's a lot of comparison that goes on when people are utilizing the anti-social medias, right? And something else that kind of you know brews into this and the idea that most people are probably scrolling anti-social media on their their mobile on their phone. Maybe they're utilizing their desktop, but I think nowadays given the way that everyone has a mobile, some people don't even have like a desktop anymore, which I find a bit zoggling. But anyway, a lot of people are doing this on their mobile device and some other stats and some other information that may make you want to maybe curb your utilization of such and just kind of, you know, uh, titrate yourself. It's like if you have a whole, let's say you bake a whole bunch of cookies and you have 30 cookies, are you going to eat them all in two days? No, maybe you'll have one or two, maybe you'll skip a couple of days and have some more, and maybe you'll store them in the fridge or the freezer so they stay fresh, but we're almost like binging. It's like when you take in too much of the antisocial media, it's like creating some type of like um, mental obesity, if that makes sense, because you're getting, your, your mind is getting filled, like overfilled with this, and it's creating this type of like obese situation, not a literal obese situation, but kind of like a more of a psychic or spiritual obese situation. And a startling fact about all of this is that 80% of humans who own a smartphone or a mobile will check the mobile device within 15 minutes of waking up each morning. So that's most people. That's 80%. Only 20% aren't doing that. And maybe they're probably, I'd say the, the younger set does this more than the older set. And then I had posted this on the White Wellness Telegram, and some people were saying, but my alarm clock is my phone or, but I've got to use it for something else. And of course, you know, you could have a separate alarm clock and that's always a thing to do it. But everyone will be like, oh, it's so much easier to have it as an all-in-one device. Like I actually kind of don't like that the mobile is this all-in-one thing. I kind of wish I had something else that was a phone and then something else that would allow me to listen to a podcast or a course or something like more educational as opposed to it, you know, getting phone calls while you're listening to it. Like I just, I wish there were, I had two devices to be honest with you. So yeah, 80% of people looking at that mobile, the moment or within 15 minutes, it could have even been five minutes when they wake up. Right. And not just the information you're seeing, but you're getting that blue light straight away too, which is um, really not so good. So what are the three reasons why you should not check your phone within one hour of waking up? So as opposed to just 15 minutes, let's see if we can take it to an hour. And here are some reasons why you may not want to look at your phone straight away. It increases stress and anxiety. Immediately, external stimuli are pulling for your attention, giving you no time and space to start your day calmly. So all of a sudden, you get an onslaught of 
you know, hyper stimulation, right? Hyper dopamine. Your time and attention also get hijacked by checking anti-social media, email, or messaging right after waking up. You let other people's opinions, requests, and advertising into your mind, which pollutes your thinking. And that's a big problem, especially nowadays where don't you just hate when you subscribe for an email? I remember back in the day when you'd be like on someone's list for, you know, shopping or email, you get a maybe an email once a month, maybe every two weeks. Now you get bombarded once, if not multiple times a day for like all these ongoing sales. And that's just too much stimuli. And that allows other people's you know, beliefs and requests and all this advertising into your mind, which, which is polluting your thinking. So I would always recommend even at every month or so, or especially every season, but more importantly, I would say every month, because sometimes we just get ourselves on these email lists. We don't even know how it happens. You just go through your email and unsubscribe to all these things. Cause who needs all of that sludge just like coming at them energetically. Right. And one of the third, the third reason why you shouldn't check your mobile within the first hour of waking up, you prime your brain for distraction um, for the rest of the day. So by starting out the day in this distracted kind of split sense, you set the tone for a distracted day. So it's something to think about. I know that for some people it's, you know, it's, it's harder than for others, but also remember that for probably most of us, if not all of us, this is not something that we always did, right? So it's probably easier for those who are maybe a little bit older to kind of maybe snap out of this than maybe ones who had phones when they were really young. Like I didn't get my first mobile until I was 21 after 9-11 happened. Of course, it was like a little flip phone. It, it wasn't it wasn't much of anything, right? It was one of those things where the, the screen was the size of a matchbook and you had to use like a QWERTY keyboard, right? But in a lot of ways, those days were actually of a simpler time. Those of you who are, you know, old enough to remember those days, it was it was a simpler time. Now the phone is like bombarded a lot of people's not just time, but their attention. Right. And it's with a lot of stuff that oftentimes we don't necessarily need to know about. Right. So something to consider there, just as you know, you move throughout um, the day and just thinking about, you know, not giving it up entirely. That's the thing. Oftentimes, we live in this society of extremes of ups and downs and binge and purge that we're told we can never do something or we just, you know, we gorge and we become like spiritually obese on it. How about giving it kind of like a happy medium, radical centrist, national socialist perspective where we do things in moderation? Who would have thought, right? Moderation. And of course, you know, some things aren't good to be done in moderation, like, you know, synthetic drugs or you know, vaccination, or I guess that is a synthetic drug. I was thinking more like, you know, heroin and things like that. But yeah, obviously certain things should be avoided. But, you know, in general, technology can be friend, can be friend or foe, but there has to be a way that we use it without it using us. Just wanted to say that. Oh, we have a country girl joining us. Hello. Anti uh, Epiphany is saying, I left anti-social media almost two years ago. Yeah, I remember. I remember when you did do that. And that was a it was a good move. And you're saying here after the first week, I didn't miss it. I've left most of it or don't really use it too much anymore. I really just use the Telegram for the most part. But I do try to, you know, not have it consume my entire life and, you know, use it, use it more smartly. And, and you can still make an impact and, you know, connect with other humans. And you don't have to like be on there all the time, right? Because you want to have your own life and your own time, right? It's, it's, that's what living is all about. So 
So yeah, taking the anti-social media breaks to improve mental health. And for you, maybe it's not anti-social media. Maybe it's, you know, email. Maybe it's, you know, obsession with research or obsession with keeping up with the news or watching all these videos. So for some people, it may not be anti-social media. That's just an example because it's an easy and familiar example. But for others, it may be something different. So a little bit there. And now I wanted to share a story about snoring and how you can improve health by not snoring. Snoring prevention improves health. While snoring is a common problem for many humans, it can also be a sign of major health complications. When snoring occurs, breathing is done through the mouth rather than the nose, which is designed to cleanse the air of unwanted foreign bodies that can be harmful to breathe into the lungs. As a result of snoring, unpurified air that keeps entering the oral cavity irritates the tissue surrounding the throat and oxygen is not able to be absorbed as efficiently. And this can manifest with like waking up feeling groggy and like needing to blow your nose, that type of thing, many things. Oxygen needs to be absorbed in all areas of the body to heal tissues on a nightly basis. Most importantly, the brain tissues. So when a sleep disordered breathing occurs, when it occurs, a large portion of the oxygen supply needed to keep the brain functioning is cut off. So left untreated, people who snore can suffer brain damage slowly over time to a point where cognitive ability and memory are noticeably impaired. And I was also thinking, whilst I was reading this before I did it for the show, I was thinking when people wear that darn Oyed AI costume, oftentimes they can't breathe through their nose anyway for a multitude of reasons. So they're breathing through their mouth. They're breathing in that stale air, wearing the JWO chat feed bag. But don't you think that wearing that and breathing very shallowly is going to fuck up their brain function and essentially render them brain damaged? I think that's part of the plan, right? It's a slow kill, right? I mean, if vaccinations were designed to euthanize populations like off the bat, then the the cat would be out of the bag, obviously, right? And yeah, some people do end up, you know, dying from vaccinations, but the main purpose of vaccination isn't to euthanize people. It's to slowly dumb them down and uh, ruin their brain function. Otherwise it would be too obvious what they were doing. But nevertheless, this Oyed AI costume can have many of the same deleterious effects of snoring. And an interesting fact that I was actually just learning a little bit before the broadcast started, that since most people breathe in such a shallow way, especially here in the West where breathing and posture are are terrible, and of course a lot of that is because people are sleeping on incorrect mattresses, they're sitting in chairs, everything is upside down and, and inverted, obviously. But sometimes when an autopsy is done, it'll be able to be seen that the middle and lower parts of the lungs, the lobes as they call them, will actually either look completely new or be atrophied because people are breathing in this shallow kind of hyperventilated way where they never get that that deep diaphragmic breathing where you feel like your ribs move up, your stomach pulls in, like you're, you just feel like that. You fill yourself with air. Most people aren't breathing like that on the regular. So you see an autopsy and you see that like they didn't, weren't even like using their lung capacity to its, its maximum utilization. So as we can see, ill breathing, whether it's manifesting as snoring, like this article is referring to, whether it's a JWO chat feedback, whether it's just, you know, piss poor posture and ill breathing, it can cause a lot of problems. 
The article goes on to say that poor sleep is directly related to issues with cardiovascular problems and puts people at a much higher risk of developing disturbances with blood pressure and or experiencing a heart attack. And there are some solutions to snoring, like a mandibular advancement device, what they call an MAD. This keeps the lower jaw, known as the mandible, in a forward position, increasing the space between the airway passage and helping humans breathe so that they can get a full, quiet night's sleep. Also, there are other things like the sleep um, mouth tape. A lot of companies now are making this tape that you can put over your mouth and sleep, which will encourage more nose breathing. Some people find these to be hard to use because they'll just feel like they're not being able to breathe. It really depends on how much nose power you have. So if someone's got, let's say, like a deviated septum or very narrow or blocked nasal passage, that may actually like freak them out to wear the mouth tape. So maybe something like this mandibular advancement device may be better. But nevertheless, there are solutions to this, just if anyone's dealing with this. And something else I should mention, too, from not just a cosmetic perspective, but also when things are cosmetic, it's not just based on aesthetics. Aesthetics go deeper than just, you know, having beauty or, you know, having handsomeness or, you know, being virile and eugenic. It's more than that. But when you're doing snoring and when you're using using mouth breathing and having poor posture and wearing that chat feed bag, eventually it's going to disfigure you. It's going to give you a different shaped face. Um, and I've mentioned this before on the broadcast, especially in regard to youngsters wearing the JWO OEDAI chat fetal bag, chat fetal, chat feed bag. So that's especially when you're, you know, your, your jaw and your face is, you know, it's young and everything's growing. It's, it's more of a concern than for adults, but it's still a concern for adults too. But if you're constantly breathing in a way where like your jaw is just like hanging down, it's going to lengthen your face. It could also give you the um, appearance of like not having a chin or having like a double chin. It can age your face and give it like a long, like pulled down look or just make your face just look like not good. And you know, the solution obviously isn't Botox or a facelift. The solution is to fix the underlying problem. And oftentimes there's also back pain that is associated with this because typically people who have breathing issues have postural issues as well. So if you do have any type of like snoring or mouth breathing or posture thing going on, very important to get that fixed, not just because it's unhealthy and unsightly, but because it can cause basically slow brain damage. I mean, imagine the average person who just does everything Dr. Z, Uncle Z, and Big Z say to, say to do, they're going to, you know, their their cognition or their zognition is going to be really, really, you know, just messed up really badly because they're not going to be able to get enough oxygen to the brain. Why do you think when you do something like, you know, pranayama or, you know, breath of fire, when you breathe rapidly and you get oxygen into your brain, why do you feel, you know, so energized and, and vitalized? Why do many yogis not drink coffee, right? Because they're getting enough oxygen to their brain. So just something to think about, uh, especially if you, this is something that you deal with, or just kind of, you know, connecting all the dots together to see how, something you do when you sleep might not have, not just give you shitty sleep, but could be, you know, affecting you in a cognitive and a, you know, basically a physiognomy way in a long-term perspective. So a bit there about uh, the ills of snoring and, and mouth breathing. Definitely important, especially more important since um, the advent of the, the chattel feed bag being an everyday occurrence for some humans, unfortunately.
Josh is saying, I used to snore super loud, but my tonsils were blocking my airway. Yeah, I think everyone's probably experienced it to an extent or maybe experienced somebody else who snored, right? That's never pleasant when someone else is snoring and you're like, oh my God, I can't sleep. That's the worst. But anyway, I think we'll take a little break right now. I'm going to play a song and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about some more information regarding health. I am your host, Tabitha. This is White Wellness Radio, thriving amidst the Zio sludge, or rather thriving amidst the sludge. We'll be right back after this song. I am the girl you know can't look you in the eye. I am the girl you know so sick I cannot try. I am the one you want and look you in the eye. I am the girl you know I lie and lie and lie. Welcome back to the broadcast. That was Hole with Miss World back in 1994. I'm your host, Tabitha. You are listening to Thriving Amongst the Sludge on White Wellness Radio. So before the break, we were talking about a lot of stuff. We were talking about some 
anti-white uh, vitriol that's been going on in the news. And uh, we were just talking about how using our phones in a moderate way is probably the best for our health, as well as how snoring and mouth breathing and posture can uh, affect us in many deleterious ways. And we have a human in the chat saying, hello, an individual named Jackal. Wow, you can sing. Awesome. Yeah, that wasn't me. That was um, that was Courtney Love, actually. <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, we're going to be continuing the chat, um, talking a little bit more now about health and just some basic health. Of course, a lot of the stuff we talk about on the broadcast is health centric, which is good because a lot of stuff out there that's health centric is well, not so healthy. And I just don't like a lot of the health spheres kind of guru-ness of it and just the extremeness, like people doing all these extreme regimes, which is called heroic medicine. Like there's different types of medicine, but that's kind of like, a, it's a very allopathic approach. It's like, there's a war on the body. We've got to, we've got to fight the germs like that. And many people unbeknownst to them or not, they build themselves as holistic or or radical or functional or some type of melange of, of all of those. But nevertheless, they're still coming from that perspective of, you know, annihilating the body with some type of, you know, quote, treatment, whether it's, you know, natural or not, and then wanting to be seen as a guru, which I think is, is kind of a waste of time. I mean, if anything, when you share information, like, like I'm doing on a show like this, it's me sharing my perspective, which I think can help. And if you find it helpful, you find it helpful. If you don't, you don't, or maybe you find some of it helpful and some of it not, but you always want to use your own system or filtration system to make sure it works for you, right? As opposed to just blindly taking someone's advice, because we're all a little bit different, even if we're all, we're all the same race. And even in that context, we can be, some of us can be one sex and some of us can be the other sex, but we all have our own you know, programming and lifestyle and prior habits that influence, of course, who we are today. So I've got a couple of books right here. I like to use books when um, broadcasting. I find it, you know, easier. Information's better to talk about some of these things in the book fashion. So I wanted to talk a little bit. This is just going to be kind of like an overview, but it's just, I think it's good information for us, especially when there's so much information out there that is counter to what's actually good for us. So this comes from an interesting book. I don't necessarily agree with, with all of the things in the book, but you know, it's, it's good to agree with stuff and not agree with all of it and then find your own way and kind of create your own little system, which is what I've done for myself or when, you know, working with, with other humans in, in the client relationship. So this is a book called the maker's diet. Um, I think it's about when did this come out 2004. All right, so it's 18 years old, and it's kind of rec re recommending what they're calling a biblical diet, and you don't have to be into the Bible or Abrahamism to follow this or some of the good advice, but there is some good advice in here. And by a biblical diet, of course, they wouldn't be eating pork or shellfish. Um, not just oives do that, like other Muslims don't. Well, they eat, they eat shellfish, they don't eat pork. And then some Christians who are evangelical will follow what's known as a biblical diet where they won't eat shellfish and pork. I could probably do the no pork, the no shellfish. Definitely not. I'm a, I'm a hound for that. But then again, I'm not, I'm not Abrahamic or, you know, suggesting anybody else do, but there's more to this regime than just that. I'm just telling you kind of like the background story of it called the maker's diet, but they have this, 
great kind of thing in here. I think it's 27 bullet points or so. And it's a prescription for modern illness. So it's just kind of more expanding on some of the things out there that could possibly cause uh, disease. So here are some of the things that, you know, we're told to do through the sludge systems. And actually these are a modern prescription for illness. So what are some of these things? Number one would be to stay out of the sun. Throughout human history, we have understood that the sun is vital to human health. Now, of course, you don't want to overdo it in the sun. We all have you know, the amount that works for our bodies. And like I was saying earlier, when we were talking about skin um, tone and skin color on the broadcast, if you have um, a history of eating a lot of these polyunsaturated lipids and slathering lotions and sunblocks and such that have these lipids on your skin, you're definitely going to burn more when you go into the sun. Because I know with myself, um, I didn't grow up with the awareness that PUFAs were bad. Of course, I, I pretty much stayed away from more of the refined ones. And I use more of the unrefined kind of uh, darker, kind of more fragrant or aromatic oils, at least growing up. But I, I did use some of the other ones too, because I was always of the belief like many of us were who survived, you know, the 90s and all the cholesterol cons and even further the zogon savory dietary heart hypothesis of Ansel Keys. You know, we grew up thinking that saturated lipids would cause heart disease. Of course, you know, that's now a hollow hoax. But I know in the past with myself, when I uh, had those oils more actively in my system, I would burn. And that's why I did avoid the sun, you know, at certain points in my life. But now I realize that you can get a beautiful golden hue and not have to like abuse the sun when you take out those unsavory and unsaturated lipids. So the number one way um, to become ill is to stay out of the sun. And of course, what are we always told? The sun is going to cause cancer. That's what they always, Big Z is always telling us that. Number two would be going to bed after midnight. So they're saying in this book, from biblical times to just before the industrial revolution, people used to go to sleep and rise with the setting and rising of the sun. This is a natural way to link your peak activity to the body's natural hormonal rhythms. So yeah, that's something else that's a good habit to get into. Maybe it won't happen all the time, but you can still kind of coax that into more of a regularity thing, maybe more on the weekdays and on the weekends, even though it is better to keep a same schedule or more similar schedule from weekends to weekday. So things like chronic sleep loss produce um, symptoms that mimic the effect of aging or the early stages of diabetes, including age-related age -related insulin resistance and memory loss. So yeah, keeping a good bedtime and making sure to get up, you know, because if you go to bed to sleep, to, if you go to bed to, to sleep like too late, then chances are you may actually get less sleep or you'll sleep too late and then you'll wake up and you'll feel groggy even though you got the same amount of hours of sleep it wasn't like that deep like more REM style sleep number three never sweat so of course how do we cool our body off and excrete numerous toxins by sweating if you suppress this natural response you will block the cleansing process and the natural flow of the lymph system. Lymph is, of course, one of the things I rarely talk about in allopathy, but very important that we're able to push toxins out through the lymphatic system. And of course, many of things can happen from not being able to have the lymph be, you know, detoxing and having things come out and the natural flow be intact. So if there is some type of thing where the, where the lymph system is interfered with, this could increase the risk of breast cancer or, you know, other things. Of course, breast cancer is, is saying being said here, 
because we have so many lymph nodes around that area, armpits, you know, around the breast. And what does Dr. Z do when someone goes in there and they're told they have cancer? They tell them to remove the lymph, to remove the breast tissue. And of course, you know, from a dramatic healing perspective that the cancer is healing. Just like when we see a scab, we know it's healing, but allopathy doesn't see things that way, right? And of course, even dramatic new medicine will say in certain instances, if someone has a tumor that's grown to an enormous size and they haven't gotten to the root of their, you know, emotional conflict, that in certain instances, you know, deleting it, depending on the person, could could be of benefit, but they're not saying to cut the lymph out. It's very, very different. Number four, um, how to get ill, a modern prescription for illness would be to take mega vitamins. Um, these are usually very, very, very cheap. These mega vitamins, totally unnatural. They, um, are made with, you know, synthetic things like synthetic C and zinc and all this type of stuff. And then you're consuming like a huge, huge, huge amount. Like, let's say it has 20,000 migs of vitamin C. That's 300 oranges. There's no way a person could probably, even a fruitarian, I don't think, could eat 300 oranges in one day. And something else, of course, by taking these mega vitamins, they're loaded with iron. I've done many shows on the deleterious effects of excess iron, especially iron of this type. We're not really talking about the heme iron that's in, in meats, like ruminant meats, but the iron that's in this is, is toxifying to the system, causes constipation. Um, it causes uh, little tears of the microvilli in the intestine. So there's, there's many reasons why you wouldn't want to take mega vitamins besides the fact that they're synthetic. I don't really recommend a multivitamin in general. If someone needed to fill in the gaps, I would suggest that they take a certain product as opposed to this one size fits all product. Because whenever you take like a mega or a multivitamin, chances are there's going to be a, at least a few things in there that you don't need. So it's always nice to a la carte your, you know, your, uh, your supplement choices. Number five, use fluoride toothpaste and mouthwash and drink fluoridated water. I think the majority of us probably know like fluoride is like one of those first things you learn when you're becoming aware of like all the issues in the world. Obviously, we don't want to use fluoride toothpaste, mouthwash, or drink fluoridated water. It is poisonous. Uh, it can calcify the pineal gland. It can uh, lower IQ. And I'll also put this out here too. You don't want to use a toothpaste that is glycerin-based either. Plenty of toothpaste out there that are fluoride-free are still glycerin-based. Glycerin makes it impossible for your teeth to remineralize, and it also causes plaque to attract on the teeth. Your teeth should naturally have a smoothness to them. Glycerin gives it a fake smoothness because glycerin has like a very kind of like thick, viscous nature to it, but it doesn't really help you. It actually will coat your teeth. You will not be able to have your teeth remineralize. Remember, teeth are alive, contrary to what dentists tell us. And then you'll also be attributing or acquiring more plaque when you use glycerin toothpaste. So they just like everything else, it's, it's all wrong all the time, 24 seven, 365. So in lieu of using a glycerin toothpaste, I would recommend utilizing a tooth soap or a tooth powder, which is glycerin free. So this is not mentioned in this book right here, but I'm adding it because it's one other thing. A lot of people out there who know about the fluoride being obvious sludge, they do not know that the glycerin is an issue.
Number six, utilizing artificial sweeteners and avoiding sugars. And by sugars, I don't mean white sugar. I mean, you know, honey and maple syrup and like mineralized sweeteners. So of course, artificial sweeteners are no good. Um, you know, Splenda, what, Equal, NutraSweet, Sweet and Low. I guess those are the brand names, but it's uh, what, Sulacrose, uh, Saccharin, and what's the other one? I don't know. I don't use these things. I I think I drank a Diet Coke once by mistake at a, at a block party in 1991. And I was like, gosh, this tastes terrible. Um, but yeah, these, these are not good. Um, aspartame, that's the other one. Increased incidence of brain tumor, seizure, uh, chronic headaches, hyperactivity in kids. So you really, if you want to have something sweet, you go for fruit or you go for natural sweeteners like honey and maple sugar. I'm not a fan of the stevia or the monk fruit stevia can cause hormonal issues. I think uh, herbally it's considered like an abortifacent. So it might actually cause like a miscarry and monk fruit is safer than stevia. And I think has a better taste, but it can cause a lot of gastro issues, which of course, if you have gastro issues that can cause hormone issues because all of the systems of the body work together. So number six would be um, utilizing artificial sweeteners and avoiding natural sweeteners. And of course, when you use natural sweeteners, like eating fruit or honey or maple syrup, maple sugar, dates, date syrup, it's not about gorging yourself. It's about, you know, having a few servings of fruit a day, possibly more servings of fruit in the warmer weather, you know, having a little bit of honey in your tea, you know, drizzling maple syrup on things, maybe using those if you're going to make sweets, like it's not about like gorging on these, obviously moderation, right? Another thing is um, excessive showering, especially when using like cheap soaps, even if you're using like, you know, really good water to wash your skin can rob your body and hair of natural oils. It can also alter your body pH if you're using certain shampoos and soaps. Many soaps are uh, endocrine disrupting soaps, probably essentially most of them on the market, obviously, you know, Lever 2000, Irish Spring, anything like that, that's got heaps of, you know, fragrance and possibly petroleums and phthalates and, you know, antibacterial triclosan, um, which just, you know, basically assaults the biome. So if your biome is assaulted on your skin, it's also going to assault inside your body because your skin is like one of your organs, right? So that's, that's, that's bad news right there. And of course, if you're using heavily chlorinated water to shower in, especially if it's super hot and your pores are open, that's another problem. And bathing actually is kind of more of an old school way that we used to um, take care of ourselves by taking a bath and a ritual bath, which would be washing in a shallow bath and then um, sprinkling with a shower for brief periods. That was kind of like an ancient way of doing bathing. And this combo is especially um, cleansing for the genitals, believe it or not. Actually, that's not really a believe it or not. That kind of makes total sense, especially when you're soaking in the tub, that can be very cleansing for the genitals. So good to know, you know, things like that, because not everyone knows how to wash themselves proficiently. Um, so when you really do take a bath, you really allow like your skin to get soaked and like cleaned very nicely. Number eight would be swimming in chlorinated pools and drinking and drinking in shower water that's chlorinated. So chlorination will basically kill all bacteria, which we really don't want to do. And it will make some strains um, resistant. So that's like, that's not good, obviously. And um, chlorine will eat through lead pipes, corrode most metals. It harms the cells and the DNA. 
It's also considered to be carcinogenic, um, causing possible cancer to many of the organs. It also tastes very unsavory too. If you have dyed hair, it'll turn your hair green. So that's not really good. Uh, it can also be really um, harmful to our pets. So if dogs are exposed to chlorine, uh, it could cause like a psychiatric disorder called running fits in dogs. So our, our furry friends are also, you know, care about them too. So if you you want to possibly filter your, your dog or your cat's water just to make sure that they're they're healthy as well. And the chlorine has a really high absorption rate through the skin because the heat of the water will open up the pores and it'll absorb through the skin. So if you don't have a whole house filter or a shower filter, you may want to think about getting that because that's a that's a big that's probably the biggest way we get chlorine into our system not from drinking and you know food cooked with chlorinated water but from showering and, and bathing we're getting in humongous amounts of chlorine so something to definitely consider there josh is saying he typically uses regular sugar he hates the diet drinks i used to use a drink diet soda but not anyway i really don't use the white sugar because it doesn't have any of the minerals in it that's one of my main objections to it is that it's been for the most part demineralized albeit the light brown sugar or the dark brown sugar more so has has the minerals because it has some of the molasses intact and i guess just overall i also like using foods that have more of a of a racial basis and sugar is a tropical food, just like coffee is a tropical food. So I oftentimes think that white sugar and coffee are more suitable to, let's say, um, people where they, they grow, like, you know, maybe mestizo people will do better with coffee or, or Negroes because that's where a lot of the coffee grows or other Southeast Asia, things like that. And then people who come from other countries will do better with, you know, things like tea and just, just like sugar, because sugar is a tropical thing. I always think that, you know, us being Europids or Aryans were better with like, you know, maple sugar or, or honey. And yeah, um, chlorine pools would have the same issue. Yeah, absolutely. It would have the same issue. And that, of course, it would probably be maybe slightly less deleterious in the chlorine pool because it wouldn't be heated. But when you're in the shower and you're washing and the water is heating your, your, your skin up and your pores are opening, that's when it's in, you know, a more serious situation. Sure. Yeah. And if you're going to get the raw sugar, like things like sugar in the raw, like turbinado, that at least has some of the minerals intact in it. So that would be, I think, a better choice. And Epiphany is saying... My pups and fish get filtered water. That's wonderful. Yeah, that's it's important to take care of our fuzzy friends and give them the best stuff possible. And Josh is saying that makes sense about the pool. And there are some people who now have freshwater pools where they're actually salted, which is really cool. And the salt kind of helps keep keep it like you know naturally sanitized. That's what the chlorine essentially does but it's not nearly as common as the chlorine. And sometimes it's not just chlorine, it's actually bromine, which I think is actually even more toxic than chlorine. Bromine is also found in some kind of like more low quality breads, and it could also be found in sodas, and that can affect thyroid function. It's said that it actually takes a very long time for that to get out of, out of the system. So not only do we have chlorine, we have the, the bromine as well. Okay, back to the list. Number nine, uh, not breastfeeding your baby. Breastfeeding um, a child, um, let's see, mothers, consider breastfeeding your children if you don't want them to risk the trauma of numerous childhood dis-ease and don't want to pay the hospital bills. 
You'll reduce your risk of developing breast cancer by 20%, 25% rather, and you may lower your risk of postpartum depression, which tends to be a huge thing. It's not, it's not the only thing that would contribute to it, not breastfeeding. There's, there's many reasons why a woman would get uh, depressed after having a baby, but not breastfeeding, not being able to breastfeed could actually be one of the contributors, but sometimes the birth actually will cause that to happen. Uh, breast milk contains cells, um, contains cells are saying that attack harmful bacteria. That's, that's not possible. We'll just reframe it from a terrain perspective. They contain cells, um, that I guess we'll say, how can we reframe this not to attack harmful bacteria contain cells that nourish the baby's system. Um, talking about all this virus stuff, which is just so wrong. So yeah, it's going to, it's how they have immunoglobins. That's the word they use, even though there really is no immune system. It's a support system. And nevertheless, there are compounds in breast milk that keep a baby healthy, keep its system healthy, keep its organs healthy. Also, it creates a bond. So, and of course it's a perfect food because it's, you know, it's made from the mom's body for the baby and also creates a close, a close bond. So that would be number nine on the list. Number 10 is tattoos. Some people are saying you can get infections or foreign substance into the bloodstream. The thing that I would be most concerned with would be the ink, the ink quality of the tattoos. Now they're using this vegan ink that might actually be even more deleterious than the traditional ink that they use. And sometimes I also use that that old fashioned like way of doing it where the word actually comes from the sound it makes like tattoo. I think it's actually spelled T-A-T-U, like the old school way of spelling it, but it's this long wooden stick with a point and it's dipped in ink. And that's like the old school way that tattoos were done before you had the little foot pedal and the buzzer. So in general, I mean, I know tattoos can be appetizing to an extent and I mean, maybe if you have them, don't get any more, you know, I mean, there, there comes a limit when you, like, sometimes I look at these people who are in their twenties and I'm like, oh my God, you have this many already at this point in your life. Like, you know, maybe, maybe just slow it down a little bit, especially I'm not really a, a fan of people who just, you know, get them over and over all over their body, just go in there and say, you know, give me whatever to cover up this sleeve or people who get them. And I think I mean, maybe now you can get a job with tattoos like on your hands, neck and face. But you know, back years ago, it was it was very hard to find a job outside of a tattoo studio with having, you know, tattoos on your hands and feet and, and neck. But there is, you know, there are heavy metals. Oftentimes, some inks can be higher in heavy metals than others. So it is something that is of a concern. Were the tattoos that they got back in the day when the picks had all those depictions of tattoos, those ancient people of, of Scotland of the A negative bloodline, were they um, using, you know, iron oxide in the ink? Who knows, right? It's, it's hard to say, is there a healthier way to do tattoos with an ink that's non-toxic? Maybe, I mean, maybe not. Maybe people just don't want to do that to yourself. Like they're saying in this maker's book, from a biblical perspective, that scripture warns against piercing the skin, Leviticus 19.28. So of course, there's many reasons why someone would or wouldn't get them. Oives typically don't get tattoos because then they can't be buried in an Oives cemetery, but that has to do with the hollow hoax because of the tattoos. It's not because of scripture. So that was number 10. Number 11, get all of your immunization shots. So of course, we know a lot about this, that this is not a good thing to do. 
and the, the schedule is very intense with what they want youngsters to get. This was back in 2004, and they were saying that youngsters receive, I think, 20, receive an average of 22 or more immunizations. But uh, this was this was years ago. It's, it's higher now. And most of them, of course, are administered whilst the brain and nervous system are still developing. They cause a host of, of, of issues, of course. I don't have to go into this too much, but, you know, injecting heavy metals into the body is, is never really a good idea. And number 12 would be traveling in airplanes often. Maybe this is something that not everybody uh, thinks about or hears about, but there is a benzene connection with flying a lot, like breathing in the benzene. The body adapts well to high altitudes for short periods of time, but not for long periods of time. Interestingly, they're saying animals dwelling at heights of 13 to 14,000 feet have much more difficulty conceiving and instinctively return to lower pastures for breeding. Some researchers believe the atmospheric pressures and radiation to which airplane travelers are exposed to are equivalent to hundreds of CAT scans and pose the greatest oxidative stress on the human body. So yeah, something to definitely be considered. In some cultures, this really isn't something that's talked about too much in, in you know Western civilization, but in, in many cultures, they tell you not to fly when you're pregnant because it's just, it's not healthy for the baby. You're exposing yourself to like radiation. So if it's not healthy, then it's, you know, usually if something can't be done at that point, it's got to be considered. Maybe it's not healthy for the general public either. So yeah, uh, traveling often in planes can, you know, be something that may be deleterious to someone's health. Number 13, expose yourself often to electromagnetic energy. This was, of course, written in 2004. So now we have more of an onslaught of that of EMFs. So EMFs can cause many things. They're saying studies conducted over the last two decades associate EMF with miscarry, birth defects, leukemia, brain cancer, breast cancer, and lymphoma. And of course, keep in mind that many of the devices that uh, Dr. Z utilizes from Zogspital body scans, you know, x-rays, CAT scans, MRI, all of these things use lots of radiation. One MRI delivers radiation equal to 100 conventional x-rays. That is pretty uh, intense. Even the use of things like an electric blanket, microwave oven, hair dryer, those can all uh, emit EMFs. And of course, now they have a lot of devices one can use. You can also put like silver blankets on top of your um, your genitals. You can wear different undies. You can get, you know, tops that protect you from it. So there's many ways to kind of mitigate that. But then you have to tell yourself or ask yourself, you're like, I'm doing everything I can to mitigate, mitigate all the EMF. And then like the neighbors next to you were just like, you know, blasting the EMF. They have a smart meter on their home. You know, they're, they're dousing the, the, their lawn with like Monsanto products or something. So it's, it's oftentimes, if you live in more of a suburban setting, it can be hard to do your thing and not have everyone else's habits kind of, you know, slightly reverberate on you, on you. Number 14 would be using a lot of um, low quality skincare products and cosmetics, hair care products, nail, shampoo, soap, perfume, shaving cream, suntan lotion, antibacterial soap. A lot of these things have been have been carcinogenic, causing all different types of um, disease. They have carcinogenic compounds. Um, toline is something, especially that um, is a neurotoxin that triggers asthma. 
a lot of these fragrances are, are ex extremely toxic. And of course, women seem to get the, um, the burden of this a lot more than men. And I would actually even add tampons and maxi pads to this list, especially the ones that are rayon. Like imagine just putting rayon like up there. Just ugh, that's not that's not a good idea. Especially those deodorant tampons. That's that's a very bad idea. So yeah, if you're going to use you know skincare products and cosmetics, you've got to get ones that don't have fragrance, don't have phthalates, you know, don't have poofas, don't have a lot of just you know antibacterial agents just got to get healthy stuff because that's one of the biggest assaults, especially for, like I said, ladies. And now probably even for guys because of like the trannies, you know, or the transvestites or whatever. It's yeah, it's uh, it's, it's not good. And also who really needs all of that stuff? Like a little bit of makeup is nice, but you don't need to like coat yourself with all of these products to, to be attractive. That's, that's a hoax. That's not true. Okay. Josh is, is taken off. Okay. Good to see you. Thank you. I'm glad you enjoyed the show. And uh, Epiphany is saying your tattoos should have meaning, not just decorative. Yeah, I agree. The idea of just going into the studio, piss drunk and saying, um, oh, I know, just, just give me that, you know, and just picking off the wall. Like, eh, that's not really so good. And Pia is saying, not a big fan made a deal with my 20 something kid not to get any get all the piercings you want those are easy to fix when you grow up and yeah in a way they are unless it's something that's like the ear stretching you know or one of those things where the kids get like the plugs there was a time many years ago when i wanted to get one of those plugs in my ear and, I was, and now i'm thankful that i didn't go through with with doing that um i probably would have had to get like the ear fixed you know get sewn up again so yeah, I guess the stuff that's really disfiguring even more beyond the tattoo and piercing would be like the people who do like the branding or, you know, the fork tongue or the 3D implants like that gets into some really unusual territory, that type of stuff. Right. It's even like transspecial, maybe, you know, number 15, um, a modern prescription for illness would be taking tons of medications. And of course, here, you know, in America, a lot of us are put on this this hamster wheel of, you know, we take antibiotics when we're really tiny and then, you know, we get all these vaccines and then we get to a certain age for girls and, you know, maybe our period is difficult and we get put on the pill even before we're, you know, sexually active and then we're on the pill for years, you know, or we take the corticosteroids, you know, all of these, taking all of these things can lead to gastrointestinal issues, um, liver problems, altering enzyme function function. You know, all of this is, is not good. The, the less you can take of this, always the better, right? And of course, you know, eating a good diet can go a long way. Um, but diet's not everything because if you're pissed off and you're mad at the world and you're angry and you're, you're seething and you feel like stiff in your body, even if your diet and exercise routine is great, well, there's something else that has to be, you know, kind of done to really get the benefits of like, you know, the food and, and the diet. So that can only go so far. It really has to, you really have to feel good, not just eat well and work out well, you have to feel good. And if you're stressed, you probably won't feel good. Number 16 would be um, mercury or, you know, especially mercury in the dental realm, which seems to be really moving away from that. Like I really don't know any dentists, even the allopathic ones who do the mercury. I think I recently asked a dentist in the last couple of years, just out of curiosity, if he did amalgam and he said like, maybe he did one a year or something like that for like a very deep 
cavity. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely not something that you want. A lot of people have gotten theirs removed. It seems to be something that people who are maybe a little bit older, not necessarily, sometimes people who were younger, but most people I know who have them tend to be more Gen X and Boomer than like Millennial and, and Zoomer. So crazily, as mind-zoggling as this sounds, for more than 150 years, dentists um, avoided using the term mercury, but they were using silver or amalgam and things like that. But the silver filling, of course, was 45 to 55% mercury and only a little bit of silver, as well as having other metals like copper, tin, and zinc. As we know, mercury is a heavy metal toxin. And this... um, organization Bioprobe says they're an independent nonprofit watchdog agency. They go on to say about mercury, vapor released continuously from mercury amalgam filling in your mouth can produce neurological and psychiatric symptoms, depression, irritability, exaggerated um, response to stimuli, excessive shyness, insomnia, emotional instability, forgetfulness, confusion, vasomotor disturbances such as excessive perspiration and uncontrollable blushing and tremors are also a common um, symptom for individuals exposed to mercury and they can also cause more allergy 26 million amalgam bearers um, have allergies so there's a lot here um, in regards to if you do have them why you may want to uh, get them out of your mouth but you have to find a dentist that does it correctly because not everyone who's removing them is skilled at removing them. It's just so crazy just thinking back that the things that they've used in the body, you know, as, you know, a medium like mercury, and I'm sure they knew darn well that there were deleterious effects, but just the things they've used, like the idea of like an MRI, having all that radiation, like it's just it's really, really mind zoggling when you think about all this stuff. And even when you take it back even further. And then you realize we're talking about a couple of weeks ago, the word of the week being quacksalver, right? That that comes from the word quicksilver, mercury, how people who didn't believe in using, you know, heavy metals in, in, in their, their doctor practice, those were the quote quacks, right? And we know that anyone who's using heavy metals in their practice, that's a quack. The next one on the list, number 17, Uh, do aerobic exercise. So only doing aerobic exercise. We want to have a balance of aerobic and anaerobic. So a little bit of aerobic exercise is good. Uh, If you do it for too long, high intensity aerobic exercise for too long produces a very elevated heart rate for a long time, for a long time that um, is hard on the body. Like when people are jogging or running, that type of thing. And oftentimes people who have those habits some of them are addicted to like the endorphin rush that they're getting from it but they're not necessarily the most long-lived or healthiest people so since um typically human beings in virtually every culture engage in anaerobic type of functional exercise from regular work to work functions on the farm at sea or whilst hunting game long distance walking or slower paced labor functions may have been punctuated by intense, but relatively brief bursts of physical labor or high speed movement. So that's kind of more the ancestral context of aerobic exercise, as opposed to essentially flogging yourself and going like crazy at a high intensity, which is really not going to be good for um, the heart. 
And it's not going to be good for the skin to people who are constantly pounding the pavement. They have their knees are shot. Oftentimes their breasts will sag if they're women and their face will look kind of harsh from the constant bounce up and down. So it's, um, it's something that, yeah, of course we want to do some type of aerobic exercise, but I've always been more of a fan of the gentler stuff, walking, especially hiking, walking on the beach is great resistance. So there's many ways that we can exercise ourselves aerobically without, you know, becoming breathless. And intense aerobic exercise, they're saying, may lower the, quote, immune response and create more oxidation through stress than anaerobic exercise like strength training. Marathon runners often struggle with decreased resistance um, to infections, and they also battle chronic ligament and joint problems that worsen as time goes on. And something else that's rather unsightly, if you've ever seen a race on TV, maybe you know about this phenomenon called runner's diarrhea, where people will actually um, lose control of their bowels while they're doing one of these long distance aerobic marathons and just go number two while they're running and they'll have poop running down their leg. And the reason that happens is because all that running creates a stress and creates like a high serotonin condition in the body. And I know we've been told that serotonin is the quote, happy hormone. We were lied to, unfortunately, right? That's why people who take the SSRIs typically go insane, right? I mean, they help in some ways, we think they block certain things, but long-term they can cause insanity. So when you have this really high serotonin situation going on in the small intestine, you actually will create like a diarrhea situation and, and void your bowel. So we really want to have a mix of, you know, gentle aerobic exercise and anaerobic exercise, like strength training. And also never forget the power of doing things like yoga, you know, stretching yourself out. That's really, really good for, I think everyone, regardless of what your flexibility level is, your balance or your strength, everyone can, can um, benefit from yoga. Number 18, wearing contact lenses or receiving implants of foreign objects such as breast implants. So they're saying here that a lot of people have gotten implants and they get things like capsular contracture where scar tissue builds up around the implants, they cause inflammation. Some women even come down with things like lupus. Uh, wearing contact lenses, they're saying that even long-term wear ones um, have a significant risk of infection to the wearers under certain conditions. And the author goes on to say, uh, these are offer certain conveniences and cosmetic benefits, but remember they are still foreign substances that you know the maker or the creator never invented for us to insert into the human body. I am convinced that they pose a risk to our quote immune system. And I would, I would have to agree here, although I'm not one who is, is biblically minded. Nevertheless, I do believe in the idea that um, we don't need foreign substances, you know, in our, in our system. And I guess people could always just wear glasses if they want. I mean, I'm, I'm not a contact lens wearer. I, I wear spectacles whilst driving and when at the food store and watching, if I'm watching a picture, I don't, you know, routinely wear spectacles, but I mean, before contact lenses were invented, what do people do? They wore spectacles, right? And the breast implant thing, I mean, that's just, yeah, you don't really need to do that. And oftentimes we're, we're sold a diet that will not grow our breasts. And then, we're, then we think, oh gosh, you know, I've got to, I need, you know, big breasts. I've got to pay for them and eat this diet. When, when you eat a more natural diet, your breasts will naturally plump up. 
it's happened to me a proof of it when I was a youngster in my like 20s and stuff I was obsessed with like you know wanting implants thinking I needed them and then when I started eating more of a of a natural human diet no problem number 19 live in a toxic home with toxic paint carpet mold paraffin candles etc and yeah I think this kind of goes without saying there's so many building materials plywood particle board lumber adhesive paint paint thinner the list goes on uh, a lot of these have toxic materials formaldehyde lead vapor arsenic and these can enter your living area and the gaseous vapors can increase the toxic load on the body so something to think about there. It can be hard sometimes when you're doing remodeling or building work to find stuff that's healthy. So always just try your best or you know open open the windows if you're getting stuff like this done. And also they, sometimes these things can also be on mattresses too. Like you think of those memory foam mattresses that are very popular. They have like people get them and they're like, oh, it, it smells terrible. And it's just going to be off gassing for a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking like, people accept that? Like, no, my mattress is not supposed to smell like that. But then again, I, I sleep on a cotton foam futon on, on the floor. My bed is, is, is cheap. You know, it's just something that costs a couple of hundred bucks that I'll have for a long time. It's interesting and kind of ironic that these, these fancy and lofty beds are the ones that actually have more of the volatile compounds in them, right? Number 20 right here is um, wear synthetic fabrics. So you don't want to wear synthetic fabrics, right? So natural fibers produce the ideal clothing for the human body. Such natural fibers as wool and cotton are far better for the human body because they, quote, breathe and are better suited to handling human perspiration whilst preserving balanced body temperatures or hot and cold climates. Synthetic fibers often come from petroleum-based resins and other unnatural sources. Unfortunately, even conventionally grown cotton is often contaminated with pesticides and chemical dyes. And yeah, that is, that is unfortunate that that does happen. But that's actually, I think, one of the hardest things, I think, is actually finding good clothing and good clothing that is not just maybe cotton, but also doesn't have pesticides because a lot of cotton is very pesticide rich. That's actually, I think one of probably one of the more challenging things on this list to do is to um, avoid synthetic fibers, especially when it comes to workout clothing. I feel that a lot of the workout clothing has synthetic fibers. I guess I would say at the very bare minimum, don't have, if you can, the synthetic fibers like right up against your body, like a mirror, like underwear or something like that. Like notice how underwear usually has like a cotton crotch. That's a lot healthier than some of these like synthetic underwear, like these thongs that just get caught up your butt anyway. I don't know why people even wear those, but it's much healthier just to go without underwear. I mean, obviously there are certain instances where you're wearing certain pants or outfit and underwear are necessary, but it is good at certain times, like say to sleep with no underwear on and just, you know, let everything breathe. Number 21, breathing with shallow breaths. This brings us back to the whole snoring thing we were talking about earlier. So you want to breathe deep. You have two lungs with amazing air capacity. Unfortunately, many of us only use a fraction of our lung capacity and we suffer from it. Infants are instinctive belly breathers, but most of us have learned to breathe from our chest in short, shallow breaths that resemble a pant, like an animal, more than a deep breath. The body and the brain and nervous system in particular thrives on a abundant oxygen, which is one of the reasons why they're trying to dumb people down with the costume, right? The child feed bag. Proper breathing relieves stress and lower, lowers the blood pressure. Breathe from the abdomen or the belly instead of from the chest. 
if your stomach moves outward when you take a deep breath or any breath for that matter, you've learned the secret of breathing fully from the diaphragm. Number 22, swallowing your food without chewing it well or at all. So just basically hoovering your food. Chewing is extremely important for proper digestion. And this is more important for foods of um, vegetable matter than animal foods, especially raw animal foods. Like you could argue that you could take little chunks of raw animal food and probably just slam that back. Although if someone's digestion was incredibly weak, that probably wouldn't even work for them. They'd probably do like a puree and have it that way. But chewing is especially important for, you know, non-animal foods that are like cooked and, and raw as well to chew. But we'll just say all food because probably most people aren't just eating raw meat who are listening, but just wanted to share that about the raw meat. The chewing reflex signals the body to release saliva containing the salivary enzyme pytolin, a form of amylase, which begins to break down the carbohydrates. Paratoid glands behind the ears signal the thymus gland to produce T-cells just in case the food contains any pathogens or toxins. The ultimate goal of the process is to deliver the stomach the food to the stomach in a liquid state. And the author goes on to say, I'm convinced that my habit of, quote, wolfing down food in chunks contributed to the development of Crohn's dis-ease. And this individual utilized the maker's diet to cure himself of Crohn's dis-ease. So that is possible, a possible possible. And it is important to chew your food enough. In this high-paced, fast society where people are you know, eating on the go. Most people aren't eating, you know, chew, eating in a relaxed way or chewing their food. And um, it's they're saying, especially making sure you chew foods like grain, sugars, and starches as much as you can, 30 to 50 times. Always eat sitting down. Avoid arguing when eating. I think that's a pretty obvious one. Or doing something that requires concentration because you want to concentrate on digestion, right? Number 23, um, using plastic food storage products like food wraps and reusing plastic drinking bottles. So it's best not to store your food in plastic. And if you can, try to buy stuff in glass. I know it's not always possible for everything. But let's say, for example, I like to keep some jars of you know chopped or diced tomatoes in the cupboard. I buy them in a glass jar, not a can, because a can could have you know heavy metals and stuff. I consider the canned products to be more of a kind of like something I'd use like in a pinch or more part of my apocalyptic uh, food pantry, you're much better off getting stuff in, in glass uh, if you can. So when you put food in plastic, of course, there's, you know, heaps of um, carcinogenic compounds as you know, they, they alter the hormones. There's, you know, phthalates, there's, uh, there's all different types of, of deleterious things. And the cheaper the plastic is, like you notice how those plastic water bottles are so like almost like you can crunch them. They're so thin. Remember like 10 years ago when they actually had like a body to them? Like now a plastic water bottle is, the plastic is almost as thin as a plastic bag, right? And if you're going to use aluminum, you're best not cooking with it directly. So if you're going to use it, put your parchment paper over it or just try to use parchment more than aluminum. And in general, I, I typically avoid the plastic water bottles because that plastic has all different types of xenoestrogenic compounds. I'd recommend that people have their own glass water bottle. Some people do a stainless steel. I think glass, well, stainless steel is probably easier, but glass is cleaner because you know drinking out of plastic water bottles, some people 
don't have a water filter or they don't even drink their water out of the tap, whether it's filtered or not. And they just live off of water bottles. That's a, that's a bad habit. And it's an easy, bad habit. Like it's a lazy, easy thing to do when you could just save all that money you're paying for all those bottles of water and just get a filter and then just buy a couple of glass mason jars. Okay. Number 24. Eating grocery store produce and processed foods treated with pesticides, herbicides, animal growth hormone, antibiotics. Don't forget the hybridized, the irritated, and the genetically altered foods. So yeah, there's a lot of things in our foods that we want to avoid, like the animal growth hormones. Of course, that will translate into any of the animal products, whether it's the milk, the meat, or the eggs. Uh, a lot of these are known carcinogens, these pesticides. They're they're, um, they basically stimulate estrogen receptors in the body so they can promote cancer. I think this is one of the reasons we're seeing so much precocious puberty with, um, with youth, like, you know, young gals getting their period, like at eight, like something like that, or, you know, boys going through like some of the secondary sex characteristic development way before they're supposed to, because we have all of these, um, these xenoestrogens in the food supply. Uh, and also this will cause an overabundance of, of estrogen, which is known as more of a female hormone. Even if it's not a female hormone specifically, they'll notice that this will make boys kind of emasculated or, or feminize them. And it will, like I said, cause an abnormally early menses or precocious puberty of, of young girls. So you could even say in a way, as creepy as this sounds, that all the pesticides and the zog sludge that are in food are directly tied to the LGBTQAV plus and pedophilia agenda, because wouldn't it behoove them to have youngsters uh, exposed to xenoestrogens that would make them develop early or actually make them develop some of the traits of the opposite sex? So we can see it all works hand in hand. Number 25, wearing tight underclothing. The body's lymph system is absolutely critical to the immune system. It is a first line of defense against things like cancer and toxins. Uh, lymph nodes that are compressed or blocked by tight clothing, such as bras, will not allow the lymph to be properly cleansed. It is conceivable that this may contribute to development or proliferation of cancer in the body. Women should not wear bras to bed, especially wearing an underwire bra. Like even if you're larger chested, you can still get a sport bra that should be able to support you because the underwire over time, it can like dig into the sides of your breast and it could feel not just very un un uncomfortable, but that could actually kind of like block your, your lymph. So then you won't be able to get as many, you know, toxins out of the system, especially if you're not sweating on a regular basis. I, I gave up the underwire. Hmm. That was a long time ago. Now I just pretty much wear sports bras or like, you know, lighter bras when I, when I do. Number 26 undergoing surgery to remove quote unnecessary body parts and that would be things like you know tonsils that's a, a big thing that a lot of youngsters get removed i remember when youngsters got these removed like back in the 80s they were all given like ice cream immediately thereafter and i'm thinking wow that's probably the worst the worst thing to give to someone after they get their tonsils out but i guess it was easy to get down and sadly they would be using that as kind of a way to say, oh, if you get your tonsils out, we'll give you ice cream. So that's that's pretty cruel right there. Um, every part of our body we need, they're not vestigial. Tonsils, appendix, 
These things are not vestigial organs. We need them all. They all serve a purpose. They're lymphoid tissue, actually, the appendix and the tonsils. So what do you think is going to happen if we get rid of the appendix and tonsils, which are lymph have you know, are lymphoid tissues serving a very necessary purpose? We know what lymph does. We're going to be less likely to be able to detox because we don't have these organs. And of course, many doctors, Dr. Z will say, oh, it's unnecessary. You don't need it. I mean, that's um, that was obviously a hoax. Hoax. If you had something when you were born, that means there's a reason why you have it, right? And of course, not only do you risk your life every time you enter a hospital for surgery, you also risk infection, surgical error, surgical complications, and dangerous drug interactions. And finally, number 27, visiting Dr. Z very often. So if you go to Dr. Z on a regular basis, it's like taking your car to the shop all the time. They're going to always find that something is wrong, right? And then you end up getting on that hamster wheel, you know, and never getting off of it. And then as time goes on, people take more and more and more of, you know, Dr. Z's pills. And now Dr. Z is promoting injections for everything. That's the new way of doing medicine because oftentimes the pills were more slow release and you know they want the person i guess to come in and get the injection done so that's that's good for business and also i think the injections bypass the liver the pills are very hard in a lot of people's livers so a lot of times now people are going to dr z to get an injection for something as opposed to taking a pill and they also want us to be getting familiarized with the idea of submitting to injections so here are some stats on um what happens when you visit your medical doctor often? It was noted that a quarter of a million deaths occurred due to physicians' activity, manner, and therapy, including 12,000 unnecessary surgeries. Remember, this book was written 18 years ago. 7,000 medication errors in hospitals, 20,000, quote, other errors in Zogspitals, 80,000 infections acquired in Zogspitals, and 106,000, quote, non-error negative side effects of drugs. And these are low estimates. The report also noted that the 13 nations included in the International Ranking of Healthcare Quality, that the United States ranked 12th or second from the bottom. That's, um, that's piss poor, right? Many Americans have filled one, filled every one of these 27 prescriptions for illness. Their bodies struggle to overcome an unbearable toxic load whilst fueled with poisonous processed junk food or non-nutritious prepackaged quote, food. If the day comes when you are stricken with chronic illness and pain, a desperate search for health will begin. Perhaps I have won some hard-earned advice that might help you avoid such a day, but the choice is up to you. And yeah, that's really what it ultimately is. The choice is always up to us. And of course, I may have just read that list and you'd be, ah, you're going to say, ah, you know, I fucked myself. Like I've done a bunch of these things in my life already. Well, you could always kind of, you know, revert back to it and not do those things again. You could stop some of these habits. Like let's say you're eating food that's grown with pesticides. You could stop doing that. You could stop wearing tight clothing. You could stop drinking out of plastic water bottles. You could stop breathing shallowly. You could switch back to spectacles from contact lenses. You could get amalgam fillings out. You could travel less in airplanes. You know, you could get no more tattoos. You could stop taking mega vitamins. You could stop using fluoride and glycerin. You could go to bed earlier, get more sun, sweat more. So a lot of these things are free and easy to fix. Some of them might be a little bit more money and it might be something that, you know, takes a bit of time for the habit to 
to really become a habit. But nevertheless, it's a good list of a lot of the things out there that we're told all the time, oh, this is so good for you. You know, don't do that. It'll, it'll, it'll hurt you or like give you a problem or something. So always remember that it's that the inversions are all out there. There's tons of snares. Snares are happening 24 seven. Can't stop, wound stop. They live, we sleep. So it's important to be aware of these things and, you know, adjust them accordingly. You don't have to tackle this entire list of 27 things today, you know, take it step by step, you know, health is done with, you know, consistent baby steps that become habits as opposed to just a cold turkey, pull the tablecloth out from under, you know, under the glassware and and hope for the best. It's it's a slow, steady that wins the race. It's It's the hair over the rabbit, if you will. Let's check the chat. Um, Epiphany is saying she's got a 5k race this week, not competitive, just for fun. See, I think that's the best thing just to go into things with a, with a fun flair, not like a competitive thing, you know, it's just nice to do things. And then you actually, I think oftentimes when you don't do it competitively, at least for me, some people thrive on competition, but I always feel like when there's no competition, you're more likely to just focus on you doing what you do. And then that's it. You know, like you've got it. You don't have to worry about comparing yourself to anybody else. You're just in your own groove and doing it for your own wellness. Just a guy is saying, have you already posted that list on the telegram? No, I have not. I was just orating that out of that book called the maker's diet. So no, it was not posted on telegram. It's a whole chapter in this book. I think it's chapter five. Maybe I'll post just like a, a brief thing with just the first, the first line because it would take a lot to, to go through all of these, you know, all of these little bullet points. But yeah, I guess I could post just one, two, three, like that type of thing. Cause it's probably something that would get shared around quite a bit and help other humans. So I will think about doing that. Thank you for the suggestion. I appreciate it. So it looks like we've come to the end of the show that went by pretty quick, didn't it? It's already uh one So um, yeah. And just a guy is saying, I'll check out that book too, but that's helpful. And there's actually two, just so you know, there's the Maker's Diet. And then I think there's a separate one called the Maker's Diet 2, I believe, which is like, and there's there's recipes in here too. So it's not just, one of the things I love about reading a book is like, it gives great health advice, but there's also like some tasty recipes. Yeah, there's a second one called the 40 Day Health Experience that will change your life forever. So there's that one as well. There's also a maker's diet shopper's guide. There's also the maker's diet revolution to lose weight and detox body, mind, and spirit. So there's a lot um, here with this, but yeah, it's an interesting book. It's got a a lot of good points. It's easy to read. Um, It's hardcover, or at least the one I have is hardcover. There's also a whole chapter about what they're calling biblical medicine, which are certain like herbs and spices that have been used since times of antiquity. And I guess it has a historical context too. Like even if you're not into the whole biblical thing, like I'm not into it from a, you know, from a religious perspective, but I do find just learning about, you know, food and just historically what was utilized at certain times to be, to be of interest. So it, yeah, it's a good book. It's something that, you know, if someone, was looking to kind of expand their health repertoire, I would say, yeah, this is a good book. And something else I'll mention too, there's a whole directory in the back about where to get the best poultry, um, where to source the best fish. And I think this is more geared towards America. So if anyone listening is, is not American, maybe this area of the book wouldn't be incredibly helpful. 
but yeah, nevertheless, there's all these all these guides in the back for the best, you know, ba- baking products, the best ice cream, the best um, organic spirits, so best supplements, things for a, the non toxic home. So yeah, it's a it's a great uh, book for anyone at any phase of their their health journey. So I think we'll close out the show now. You have just finished finished listening to. Thriving Amidst the Sludge on White Wellness Radio. I am your host, Tabitha. Be sure to catch all the broadcasts over here on White Wellness Radio. Follow me on uh, Patreon, Telegram, Twitter, all that jazz, Instagram. I think I'm going to be shadow banned on there. But anyway, yeah. And Nicholas is saying, thanks for the show. Have a good week all. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks, everyone, for listening live or listening in the archives. And um, have an amazing week. We'll be catching everybody on the next broadcast. Okay. Satnam.